Hey, I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. I'm going to read some scripture to you. If you would just close your eyes. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it. Just put yourself in this place, this time, this moment. John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked into the strips of linen laying there, lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And he saw and believed. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in, the, in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. What a wondrous, amazing. Growing up in the church, it's real easy to take Easter for granted. It's real easy to just go through the motions of Easter. Yeah, it's the day in which, you know, pastor actually put on a tie. I know. Uh, it's, it's a day in which we dress up. It's a day in which these different things happen. But when you put yourself in the shoes of, the, of what's happening at Easter, it is heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, and also exciting and mind-blowing at the same time. But to actually feel the heartbreak of Mary Magdalene in this moment. <laughs> Where'd you put them? Where is he? I'll go get him. I don't care what, what's going on. I want to. And the relief, the excitement, the joy, the ecstasy. When he speaks and calls her name and she realizes who it is. On Easter, this morning, I hope you can put yourself in that place 
of Jesus calling your name. Lawrence, Angela, Eric, calling your name. Because I know I could fit in that spot in my rushing, in my running. I have the feeling that Peter ran into the tomb just because he couldn't stop as quickly as John. <laughs> right? John was a lot younger, so Peter's flailing into the, into the tomb. But in those moments, it's just the, all the emotions in that, in that time, the ups and the downs, the, the terror, the beauty of what the foot washing was on Thursday night and the terror of what the crucifixion was on Friday, and now the story hasn't even begun yet with the resurrection of Christ on Sunday. This has been an emotionally draining week for the poor disciples. And as we put ourselves in that spot, as we put ourselves in those moments, we start to think, hear and see and experience the gravity of the moment. And so this morning, I kind of want to, instead of doing a lot of, a lot of things with the scripture, there's so many different ways you can go. I want to be very, very simple of what Easter is, what it should mean to us, what changes in us because of our experience with the resurrection. Easter is all about the death and resurrection of Christ. But what is that? The cross is very simply total sacrifice. The cross is total sacrifice. Innocent person put to death in the most heinous way possible. The cross is total sacrifice for you and for me. The empty tomb is total, complete victory for you and me. The cross is where all of history, the drumbeat of history, and the way in which God had interacted with history all throughout the scripture, it's the crescendo moment. It is a slow beat that started with Adam and Eve and it kept on going, 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 kept on going. And the cross is this huge moment in which all of that is rewritten. The empty tomb is snatching or is, is defeating death itself. When everything looks terrible, the tomb is victory. I've had a hard time wrapping my head around the tomb. And maybe you have too. The cross, I understand. I understand sacrifice and love for someone else. I don't understand it on the grand scale of all humanity for all time, but I understand it, you know, for my puppy. <laughs> I understand it on a smaller scale. But the tomb just blows me away. I was thinking about that this week. I think it's because I can sacrifice for my wife. I can sacrifice for my family. I can sacrifice for people I don't even know. I can understand war stories of guys throwing themselves on grenades. I can get a concept of that. I cannot get a concept of defeating death. I cannot get a, a grasp on being dead and then being alive, on overcoming the worst of the worst. I, I can't understand that. But that's exactly what happens with the empty tomb. The empty tomb is total victory. It's what we celebrate today. Total, complete victory. If we only experience the cross of Christ,
Christ. But don't participate in the empty tomb of Christ. We're missing so much of who Jesus is and what Jesus has to offer us. And that actually means something for how we interpret Jesus and how we understand the gospel. Is when we only read the gospel in light of the cross and not the empty tomb, we only get half of the gospel. We get a God who is victorious, but a, a in, or a God that's only been defeated, and a God who hasn't been victorious yet. And sometimes if we feel our faith in God has been wanting, our faith has been incomplete, I wonder if we really examine ourselves, our, has our faith been built just on the cross and not on the empty tomb? Because in moments of my life, I can tell you that my faith has been built on the cross and not on the empty tomb. It's both. It's yes and. Christianity operates on a few foundational principles. First is this. God loves us and cares deeply about creation and humanity. God loves us and cares for his creation and humanity. Second thing. He loves us so much. You guys think you know where I'm going to go with it. He loves us so much that he gives us free will. That is really hard to understand. He loves us so much, he gives us free will. Anybody who's ever a three-year-old is like, why did he give us three free will, right? He loves us so much, he gives us free will because he wants us to choose to love him. With that choice comes the opportunity for things to be apart from God. And in that choice, we also get to choose God in that. We get to choose to love God. We get to choose to be apart from him, or we get to choose to be in him and with him. That choosing to be apart from him is what sin is. Sin's definition is to miss the mark. It's an archery term, right? You take a bow, you shoot, and you miss the target. Take another shot again, you better adjust, right? That's the repentance part, to turn to change, to take a different aim. When we sin, we miss the mark. Now, that's very, very um, clean way of saying how horrid sin is. But reality is, it's we choose to miss the mark. And so in that sin, in that issues, we've chosen not to love God in those moments. That's the bare bones definition of all these things. Now, your rebuttal to that is, wait a minute, I'm a good person. How do I miss the mark? Because we miss the mark all the time. I miss the mark, you miss the mark. Let's all just agree we miss the mark. I'm not judging anyone, it's a fact. We screw up. We mess up. We fall short. In fact, Paul writes this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But not me, Paul. No, no, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what about for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Now, some of us may think we've never sinned before, but you have. Explaining sin to a five-year-old is an interesting task. We were trying to work through that this week, um, actually at the Good Friday service with Lucy. And it was a very fun, like, wait a minute, what? Well, have you ever hit someone, Lucy? My brother. <laughs> Why? I was mad. That's called sin, right? <laughs> it's like, oh. 
And I was like, I don't like that definition. Because if I think about that, I'm just being angry at someone. Thinking less of who they could be. Because God loves his creation. He wants the best for his creation. But when we devalue his creation, we're missing the mark for what it all could be. We do that in our lives all the time. Ah. For all have sinned. All have missed the mark. All have need to take a different aim. If we all have sin, we have a merciful God that says, hey, this is the way in which you can come back to me. There's so much hope in that. Because often we, <coughs> excuse me, when we mess up, at our jobs, in our family, in our community, with our friends. There's often that feeling of, if I fail, I'm done in that relationship. If this, then I am, ugh. And maybe in some relationships we felt that tightrope walking even more than others. I think we fall victim to it sometimes with God as well. Well, if God is so great, he could never love me because I did this X, Y, and Z, or this happened to me when I was this, and I did this, and I participated in that. And the beauty of who Jesus is, is no, 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 I have total sacrifice for all sins, and I have total victory over all of them as well. I really try to think that maybe my sins stink so bad that God couldn't pay the price for those or wouldn't want to. And I play a mental gymnastics of guilt and messiness. This is, I'm too far gone and I'm too messy and I, I messed up too much. And reality is, no, no one's too far gone. We've all messed up. We've all done stuff. The guy who writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, was in charge of killing Christians. That man can have the humility to say, yeah, we've all messed up, but God is bigger, better, more wondrous than we can ever imagine. Then I, he, it could be true for me as well. God, because he loves us, provides a way back to him. Jesus restores the relationship that we mess up. Jesus restores the relationship that we have messed up. His death and resurrection are the fixing of a relationship void that has happened. There is a deficit. In any relationship, there's these kind of deficits, but Jesus's death and resurrection takes away any of that deficit, any of that debt, any of that issue, and pulls us together again. In the Old Testament, there's all these different processes of if this happens, then you need to sacrifice this dove, this bull, this sheep, this amount of grain, this amount of this, this, do this, do that, do this, do, do, do all, hold your foot like this and pour the oil this way. And, uh, and there's all kinds of stuff uh, in the Old Testament of how and when there's a sin problem and how to get rectified with God, there needs to be a sacrifice in some way. Well, why we culminate in Jesus, why Jesus is on the cross is because he is the ultimate sacrifice, meaning all of the Old Testament system, all of the stuff that's been crescendoing into Jesus, we're, we're taking away all of that 
Because the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus' perfect son, can pay for all those sins. We no longer have to sacrifice a bull, sacrifice a sheep, do a goat, grain, a couple turtle doves, and a partridge in a tree. You don't have to do any of this. I'm confusing uh, holidays now. Uh, I'm just kidding. We uh, do all these things because we don't have to do that anymore because of who Jesus is and what he does at Easter, the great sacrifice on the cross. What Jesus does with the cross is establishes a trust fund of grace that will never run dry. The Old Testament system, it was, I kind of, I buy my time here. I'm going to like pay my dues. I got a little, 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 little repentance in the bank, a little grace in the bank. We're okay, okay, whoop, I'm going to pay that off that debt. I'm going to go back. Oh, got to take my, man, I really messed up. I got to take three sheep this year to Jerusalem and get them sacrificed, and we're good to go. And But, but what Jesus is, is it's a trust fund that never runs dry. Maybe that helps you conceptualize how grace can be so big and grace can be so wonderful for you and for me. We have access to this trust fund when we make Jesus Lord of our life and accept his forgiveness. The reality is God knows your mess and still loves you. Isn't that amazing? That he can know those thoughts that you have, even those thoughts that you have. Yeah, I'm talking about those thoughts. And he still loves you. God knows your secrets. And he still loves you. God knows your problems, your issues. And he still loves you. God still loves you. You're not too far gone. You're not too messy. You're not too skeptical. You're not too anything. He loves you. So much so that he gave his only son for you. To be the ultimate sacrifice for you. To restore the relationship for you. For all of humanity as well, but for you. The questions come up, what do I need to be saved? What needs to happen? What, what hoops do I need to jump through? Because culture tells me I need to work harder. Culture tells me I need to spend more money. I need to go get this degree, get this certification, jump through these hoops, do all kinds of stuff. The question is even asked by a man named Nicodemus to Jesus, what must I do? What certification do I have to get? John 3.16, Jesus' response to that exact question is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in, in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe 
stands condemned already. The light has come into the world. But people, and I can write my own name there, I'm a people, but Jared loved the darkness instead of light. There's a wonderful however or a but at the end of that. But Jesus, yes, I love the darkness. Yes, I want to fall back into that. Yes, I want to be attracted to that. But the light has come. The light has come in the name of Jesus Christ. The light has come by the great and total sacrifice of the cross. And the light has overcome in the great and total victory of the tomb. The bill is paid and the debt is canceled. And now life can really start. We joke around, uh, we've joked around at the, at the baseball diamond a lot lately is there's a, uh, we're in a new AD or BC AD area. Now we're going to be in a pre-COVID, post-COVID. Like that's how we're going to delineate time in, in our lives is, well, pre-COVID, this is how things operated. Post-COVID, this is how things oper- operated. And I don't know if, if your life runs that way, but my mine sure does. Uh, and, and it's one of these weird things is we walk through life. We're like, well, that's how things used to be. But now life is like this. And we talk about this with experiencing who Jesus is. I once was this, but Jesus, and now I'm this. I once was this, but then I experienced the depth of forgiveness of who Jesus is, and now my life is different. The bill is paid, the debt is canceled, and now life can start. There was a pre-Jesus person here, and now there is a post and during Jesus now. This is a dramatic different changes of who we are in life. It is a cataclysmic cellular change in how we are orchestrated and how we live our lives. I once was addicted to missing the mark. And now I'm addicted to hitting the bullseye. The cross is total sacrifice, and the empty tomb is total victory. The cross is about saving us in this life. The empty tomb is so that we may have victory in the next. The cross relieves us of the guilt, and the empty tomb promises victory. The cross is the sacrifice. The empty tomb is where death itself is defeated, and that we may have the assurance that death is defeated for us. We will have eternal life, We will be in heaven with Jesus. We will be in a place with no more torment, no more pain, and no more heartache. This is the promise for us. This is the total victory that the tomb gives us. This morning, I want to bring to you the offer of living a post-whatever-you-were kind of life. To being a life instead of throwing arrows everywhere or aiming at whatever you want to, but hitting the mark that Christ has set out for us. A fresh life, a forgiven life, a new life, a life with the promise of eternal life with Christ. If that's something you feel your heart yearning for, your soul knowing that you need, 
I'd ask you to pray with me this morning. Lord, this morning we come to you. We come to you thankful. Thankful that you love us so much that you wouldn't leave us this way that we are. That we are. Lord, we're so thankful that you've paid the price for us. We are blown away that you defeated death, that you are victorious. Lord, would you help us wrap our heads around that in some small, simple way? But Lord, that you went to the cross for us and you defeated death for us. That your sacrifice is good enough for all my past sins that I lay at your feet, my present stuff that I lay at your feet, and the future sins that I know I'll mess up, but I I ask for forgiveness already anyway. Lord, would you please have the same victory in my life? Lord, would you be king of my life? Would you help me live for you in all my ways? and in all my days. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe. And don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.